Before the episode begins, I just want to give a big thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast. Season 2 will be ending officially today with this last episode. And my new project with Ulti World has started. I'm co-hosting a podcast with Danny Proby called Hucking A, and it's focused on Canadian Ultimate. If you want to check it out, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hucking underscore A. You can check us out on Facebook, Hucking A Podcast. And you can check us out on all podcast platforms at Hucking A. We will be doing a coast-to-coast guide to everything Canadian Ultimate, from the history to feature stories, interviews, and tournament coverage. I want to thank you again for your support, and would love for you to check out that podcast. Now I hope you enjoy this last episode. You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? If not, you gotta check out Haddock Sport Performance, a premier strength and conditioning company designed for and by ultimate athletes. HSP provides each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly to get to know who you are and what you need, and together with you, they help build a plan to be your best in competition. Check out HaddockSportPerformance.ca or HSP on Instagram to learn more. Now with all that done, let's go! This week's guest is Chris Kocher. Chris plays for New York Pony, an elite-level club men's team. With Pony, Chris won a national title in 2018 and came in third in 2019. Chris is a three-time member of Ulti World's club men's first team, being selected from 2017 to 2019. In 2019, Chris was the second runner-up for men's club player of the year, and in 2018, he was named second runner-up for men's club offensive player of the year. Prior to Pony, Chris played a year with DC Truck Stop and his college ultimate at George Washington University for the Hippos. He was on the Next Gen Ultimate Tour in 2012 and 2013. On the world stage, Chris has represented the U.S. four times, including on the 2017 World Games team that won gold. He was set to be a part of the U.S. men's team for the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships that have been cancelled. In 2018, he played with Australia Colony, who came in second at the World Ultimate Club Championships. Chris currently lives in New York City. Alright, so I'm here with Chris Kocher. All the way from New York City. So, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we're ready to talk some Ultimate with Chris Kotcher. Uh, you know what? Uh, we hear different stories, so we're going to hear yours today, Chris, on how you got into the sport of Ultimate and then eventually into the elite-level club scene there. So why don't you take it all the way back to when you first started playing the sport? I learned to throw when I was pretty young. I was probably in, like, fifth or sixth grade. I went to Padilla High School, so... I remember, you know, being on our playground and 
watching. Uh, it's a K through 12. So I, I've been going there since I was in first grade. And um, I remember being on the playground and watching like the ultimate players from high school throwing around and like scrimmaging or whatever. Um, and think, and it was a varsity sport at Paidea. Um, and so I remember like thinking it was very cool. And there was these guys I was looking up to. And so I kind of knew once I saw that, I got really excited about Ultimate, had played in a couple leagues, like really low level, like just like a bunch of sixth graders playing like 500 or like we maybe try to play games, but it was mostly playing 500 on the playground. And so that's where I learned to throw, you know, like learn to throw a flick, learn to throw a backhand, et cetera. Started really falling in love with playing with a Frisbee. Wasn't too organized at that point, but kind of knew when I got to high school that Ultimate was something I was interested in. Um, and then, yeah, probably like eighth grade, we had the opportunity to do like intramural leagues. So like the junior high got to do intramural leagues and it was like taking place at the same time as the high school. So there was all these high school players also playing and I got to play with some of them and against some of them. And at Paidea, it was like a bunch of the best athletes were playing Ultimate. I mean, obviously soccer and basketball as well, but Paidea was unique in some ways in that it drew a lot of talented high school athletes to ultimate rather than bigger sports like soccer and basketball. So I, from, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade was like, I, my goal was like, I want to make the varsity ultimate team when I'm a freshman in high school and play four years on it. So that was something I was aware of, you know, pretty much since sixth grade, maybe. Um, it may have even been earlier, but that's kind of how I was introduced to the sport. My, the actual, the, actually the varsity coach of Paidea, Michael Baccarini, was the PE teacher at Paidea as well. So I've known him since I was in like second grade or whatever it is. Um, and so like ultimate was just like, it was around. It, I to me, it was like that's a mainstream sport. That's just like people play ultimate, <laughs> just like soccer and basketball and things like that. So, um, I was exposed to it pretty young and knew pretty early on after getting to play that it was something I was interested in pursuing at at least the high school level. At that point, I didn't really know much about club ultimate or even college ultimate. I knew Chain was a team, um, and I, like had kind of watched them and was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and that was back when they were really good. Yeah. So I like kind of was aware of it, but for me, it was like, I want to play high school ultimate. Like I thought that was cool. I thought the players playing it were cool. And, and that definitely sort of drove, drove me into, into like continuing to pursue it as I got into high school. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Padea. I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably have heard of that school or know it's a uh, track record. And so Chris, can you give some shout outs to some alumni that people would know? Like who are the kind of main names from that school that people would just know off the top of their heads there because they're just uh, legends in the game. Like Leela Tanell is one that I think a lot of people will know. She played, um, you know, Brute Squad for a while, was, was one of the best players in Ultimate for a really long time. She was someone that I definitely saw playing and was like, whoa, the people can be really good at this sport. <laughs> um, some others uh, who I actually played with were like uh, George Stubbs and... Grant Lindsley. So I was, I actually played in high school with them for one year. So I was a freshman when they were both seniors. And then George's little brother too, John Stubbs, who is, is on chain now, played revolver, but was a 
freshman when I was a senior. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of, I mean, like there's some other older players like Dylan Tunnell that were, you know, big names in Ultimate, like Sophie Darch, Lane Cedor, like some some people that uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting a ton of really good players, but um, those are definitely people that I crossed paths with and got to play with in some situations and looked up to in a lot of ways and made the sport seem very cool to me as I was going through going through high school. Yeah, and you raised up a pretty good point there too, Chris, about uh, your high school being able to recruit like top athletes into your sport. And you're seeing that more in other high schools across the country there. So what what do you think the school does specifically well to attract athletes that are good and could potentially play other sports, but they choose to play ultimate? Like, is it the culture? Is it how do they recruit? Like, what do they do to, to get make that happen? Yeah, I think it's definitely like the culture. It was a very fun culture. It was a competitive culture. I also think it was like the school itself took it seriously. So like we had coaches like the coaches took it really seriously the school took it seriously so like we got you know access to fields we got we were like they gave us buses or whatever it was whenever we traveled to play other teams so there was a lot of institutional support from Paidea's administration like they treated ultimate just like any of the other varsity sports even though obviously it's like objectively a smaller sport but it was, and it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy too. It was like Paide started getting really good at Ultimate. And so the school was like, you know, continued to be excited about it. And then kids saw that, oh, this team is good. There's good athletes on it that take it seriously. That's something I want to do. And like, I was lucky enough to be kind of in that pipeline, right? Like I saw a bunch of men and women taking ultimate really seriously who I looked up to as athletes not just as ultimate players but as like because they a lot of these players were good in other sports like we had a lot of kids that played basketball and ultimate like I know George and Grant were really good soccer players like their freshman and sophomore year and ended up having to pick ultimate so I was seeing these people I looked up to as athletes choosing ultimate and that definitely helped but I think it starts with the people in the program taking it seriously. So people not sort of self-deprecating and this can be hard to do, but like self-deprecating around playing ultimate and like um, the school treating it, you know, as it would any other sport, I think is a, is a big step in attracting players that are going to take it seriously and want to be competitive and want to get better. Yeah, those are definitely good points there and maybe some tips for uh, people out there at their school, if they're a teacher, to, to kind of get that institutional help, right? Like the organizational aspect is huge, especially at the high school level. And so you went to college then at George Washington and did you play ultimate there? Like there was a team, right? Yeah, we had a team. Yeah, I played all four years there. I think the year before I went, they were actually very good. They lost, I think, in the game to go to nationals to pit like 15, 11, and it was a year pick. I like, you know, made semis or something like that. So it was like, it was a pretty good team. Honestly, the year I, I, the year before I came, like they had some grad students. I know Jeff Wodach was there for a year who plays truck. And so he was like a really good 
player. And honestly, like I kind of looked at this and I was like, oh, like I was deciding between Boston College and George Washington. And I was like, oh, George, George Washington's in the game to go to nationals. They lost the pit like by three or four. Like that's pretty solid. And, and ultimate wasn't a huge part of my decision for college somewhat intentionally. And, and in some ways that was, that's kind of a regret. But I definitely looked at it and was like, oh, we're going to be pretty good. And then I showed up and it was like every single person had graduated. And there was, it was like, there was maybe two seniors on the team or on the A team, one of which who had been on the B team the year before. And it was like, oh, wow, <laughs> we are starting, starting from uh, scratch in a lot of ways. But it, it taught me a lot about building a team. And I had a blast at George Washington. We were competitive you know, with the teams we were playing for the most part. I mean, we never really were fighting for a spot at nationals, but it still felt very competitive to me. And we all took it very seriously still, even though we weren't, you know, a top level college team. Yeah. And then you had some experience, like you said, not playing on a top level college team, but you're able to play both on the next gen tour and also play uh, with team USA uh, at the U20 level. So how did you get uh, noticed for for those things, considering you didn't play that high-level college uh, ultimate that, that people uh, knew who you were or knew of your name? Going to Paideia, honestly, was super helpful. I just I had a lot of connections with really high-level ultimate players and organizers in the ultimate community who had been doing it for a long time. There were people that knew me and supported me and had seen me play for a long time kind of in that world. And I think that's, that's honestly how I, I got on next gen. I sort of lucked out and like they were starting it. Like I'd played with George Stubbs in high school a little bit. I was very much like an, a last second alternate kind of, they need, they had asked, Hey, you got on the tour though. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kevin had asked a bunch of people, they needed a 14th. A bunch of people said no, for whatever reason, they needed a 14th. Kevin's like, trying to figure it out like the month before the tour starts. And I think he asked some people for their some suggestions. So he asked George um, and maybe like Kyle Weisbrod or a couple other people. Um, Dylan, I think, gave me a good, uh, put in a good word for me. And and then he just, yeah, Kevin emailed me and was like, you want to do this? And I was like, sure, I'm in. And then I think once you get on it once, you're kind of, Kevin was, I think, inviting everyone back for the second year. So even though I might not have been the best, my first year, it uh, I kind of had I weaseled my way in and got to go the second time as well. And on the tour, though, uh, you're able to gain some pretty good experience there. So playing against like the top club team. So what did that do for your development as a player? Yeah, I think a big thing it did was it made me realize oh, there's a bunch of other people that take this really seriously and want to be good at this and are really good at it. And I think it was. It was a humbling experience for me where, you know, I had in high school, I was good because I was like pretty athletic and it just like I could throw pretty well. And so like most of the people I was competing with, I was like athletically as good or better. And Paideia had a really good structure. So I was really good fundamentally. And going on next gen, I saw like I was like, OK, I am by I'm not close to the best player on this team. Like I there's a lot of people that are much better than me that have been taking this, like that take it very seriously or playing on better college teams have already started playing club. Um, and I think it opened my eyes to what ultimate could be for me that I could take it really seriously and would enjoy to take it really seriously and wanted to get better. 
um, and wanted to get on the level, the same level as all these guys I was playing next gen with. So I think in some ways after Paideia, I was like, I don't want to make, I don't want to go to college just for ultimate. Like I want to have another part of my identity or whatever. I don't know, whatever. And I kind of actively was like, I'm not going to try to go to one of these schools that has like a great ultimate program, but getting to new next, next gen sort of reminded me how much I loved playing and how much I loved competing in ultimate and that there was this opportunity to keep getting better and and play at a higher level even after college and that like I could tell I was like I feel like I'm I'm close like I was like I can play with these guys but I definitely felt as though they were a little better they'd been playing against better competition in college etc so it was it was motivating to kind of feel like I could get to that level but wasn't quite there yet so that was a big help for me was kind of like next gen reminded me how much I liked playing, how I wanted to play at a higher level, and I wanted to be one of the better players, and I wasn't quite there yet. So it, was, it definitely helped open my eyes to that and, and make pursuing Ultimate in a more serious way feel like a really viable option. It's like seeing other people doing that was, was definitely influential for me. So with your development... Can you expand to the audience what you did specifically to then reach the the quote-unquote next level that you were referring to? Like, what were some specific things that you did, be it play club or, you know, a certain throwing regimen or, or gym training, whatever that looked like? What did you do to, to reach that next level? There's a couple things I would say about that. Something that I think is really valuable, like, I mean, like playing club is the best way to get better or playing college, whatever it is, playing against people that are better than you is really the best way to get better. That's something I would, I would recommend to people is like, if you're at practice, like try guarding. I mean, don't like, you know, I'm not going to guard the six, five dude every time, but challenge yourself to guard the best player you can. Don't like, if you actually are trying to get better, like you should be very okay failing in a lot of situations, right? Like you're going to get beat, whatever. It's much more important to push yourself and get beat a bunch rather than guard someone who's worse than you or like, you know, you're faster than and like make yourself feel better because you're dominating someone rather than actually trying to push yourself to be better. And I think a lot of people fall into this and I did in college a ton is like, I, I was used to being the best. Like when I was in high school, I was, I was really good. When I was in college, I was also really good, but I was playing against like lower level teams. But like I had played junior worlds. I had this expectation for myself. And I think other people did too, at least in that like small college world I was in where they were like, oh, like this kid played junior worlds. He should be really good. And I was like, I should be really good. I should be able to, you know, be better than this kid I'm guarding. But then like, of course kids were really, people were really good. And like, I'd get skied all the time or like people would make me look silly playing defense or like I couldn't get open. Someone get a layout block on me. And my initial reaction was to like pull away from it and want to kind of be like, Oh, either like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about this or I'm going to guard someone not as good. Like whatever, this sort of like ego mindset of where I'm just comparing myself to how I do against other people and like, am I better than this person or better than this person? And a big shift for me was realizing like the way I'm going to get better is like being okay with 
people beating me in situations and like actually trying a hundred percent in practice in games even if I think like oh I'm supposed to be better than this person if I because it's like there's that fear of like I'm gonna try a hundred percent they're still gonna get open or they're still they're gonna get a d on me or whatever and then I don't have anything to fall back on where I can be like oh I wasn't trying a hundred percent and so getting out of that mindset and kind of getting more into this like growth mindset of trying to get better based on like incremental improvements to to like skills I could track for myself where it's like I'm not going to compare myself you know it's like I can't throw it 80 yards and but it's like I can throw it 40 yards really well and then I'm going to practice and try to get like okay now I can throw it 45 yards really well and I don't care that this person next to me can throw it 50 yards and then they're throwing it 60 yards like I got I got I was comparing myself to like my skill set I was getting better at and I found once I started doing that and thinking of development in that sense, I got way better, way faster. And so that was a huge benefit to me. And I, I got like a lot of it from this book, The Art of Learning. I mean, there's a ton, like Carol Dweck talks a lot about growth mindset in this book called Mindset. Hey, he knows. Are you in education? No, I'm not in education. I've just been like, after U24s or during U24s, Bob Cryer had us all read The Art of Learning. It's this guy... Josh Waitzkin and he it's basically like him getting better at Tai Chi is what he's using he was like a chess champion but it's it's like very cool how he talks about learning and getting better and so that was like a big shift for me was like thinking about improvement in that way and not worrying nearly as much about like oh this person that's supposed to be worse than me or supposed to be better than me like I don't know I tend to think like everyone always plays up to the person that's like better or they can, right? Like that can be, and that's like a really valuable skill, but it's like, you should be going, I don't know. It's like when I'm guarded by someone that even if I think like that person's not as good as me or whatever, it's like, why'd they put this person on me? Like I'm better than this. It's like still going a hundred percent and not like falling back into this like mindset of like, I can't fail here because I'm supposed to succeed in this situation and being kind of afraid of, of that failure. And so, yeah, a lot of, like the growth mindset stuff was a big help for me in how I thought about getting better at ultimate specifically. And I, and I think it, it helped me stay consistent. Cause it's like, you know, it's like I had ups and downs in my career and like playing wise and there's lots of good players that they're like hyped in college or whatever and end up, you know, either giving up cause they're not interested in ultimate, which is like, whatever that makes sense. Um, but I do think there is this element of like some people expect to be so good. And then there's a lot of players in at the club level that are very, very good that no one knows. And you just like, you have to be okay getting beat a bunch and like still going at it again and like trying hundred percent again. Like if you're going to get discouraged cause you're getting beat by someone that you don't think is as good as you, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough ride. Yeah, and uh, Chris, speaking of rapid improvement or or continual improvement, I should say, I mean, you played on Pony for a few years, but you played on Pony back when they weren't the you know finals or semifinals contender that they were the last couple of years. So, what was it like first making Pony and then seeing the growth of the program over you know the last five years? Let's say. So the first year I played Pony. We didn't make nationals. I was thinking about playing truck stop uh, because we had like just made pro, we had beat Sakai Universe in like a game to make it into like the pro flight 
like the top seven. Um, and like, we were like a pretty young team. We were getting better. And I was kind of like, maybe I want to stick around with truck stop, but I moved to New York. Ultimate was such a big part of my social circle in some ways that I was like, I want to be in the city. I want to play in the city I'm living in. And so I joined Pony. I liked all the Pony guys when I first moved here. So I started playing with Pony. You know, we were pretty solid. The problem we ran into was Goat was really good and didn't go to any regular season tournaments that year. Uh, or like didn't try very hard at regular season tournaments that year. It's it's it was a, a story of an old an old story of the the pony yeah the pony goat rivalry of like goat being really good not doing well in the regular season pony narrowly getting a bid as like the sixteenth seed or something and then goat stealing the bid. So that's essentially what happened in whatever it was twenty fifteen where. Yeah, we were we were pretty good. I think we earned a bid to nationals, but Goat was better than us that year. Uh, I don't think we really had much, like we would have we would have had to play a, a pretty exceptional game to beat them. I think, and so they beat us in that game to go, and that was pretty discouraging because it was like at that point I was like, re- I was like taking ultimate pretty seriously. I was like wanting to get much better. Felt like we were like building something like we could be pretty good. You know, Pony's kind of been on this like lower level tier, but like nationals level for a while. I was like excited to be like a young, good player on this team and like trying to like make us good again uh, or make Pony good. And we didn't make nationals. And it was like, Jesus, that was not expected. Like I decided to leave truck stop and not play truck to come to this team and then we like didn't put it together and make nationals um and then like that summer it was like pony wasn't like in danger of not happening but it was like you know we didn't know who our captains were gonna be there was definitely a couple people moving on it was just like in flux we were sort of like yeah we didn't make nationals like that's not a good, like maybe we won't make it again next year or whatever and then the year after that i think we like had a kind of a, a rapid progression so it was like we then we made nationals, lost in pre-quarters. And then the year after that, we made nationals, made it to quarters for the first time in Pony's history um, and lost to Revolver, who had, I think, I think that was the year they lost to Goat in that game where Mark Lloyd played incredibly well. I think that was that year. And then they beat us like 15 to four. And I was like, okay, there is a different level of team that, we have not gotten to. And the year after that, we obviously had some big pickups. Like we got Jimmy to come to New York. We got some other really good players like Lado came over from Colony and we were obviously able to win nationals, which was sweet and kind of surreal. And like, and it was very fun for me to like be part of that, the whole process of that kind of buildup of going from like not making nationals to winning nationals and having a lot of, people that were part of that team that didn't make nationals get to win nationals and like some older players that had been on the team for a long time and had like gone through a lot of like losing to go to regionals to finally like we won the region in 2018 which was like a big deal for us um like it was it was like you know i think ironside i guess had folded at that point but it was like a big deal to get past goat and whatever Boston team was there, I guess, dig to actually win regionals. So that was like a huge step for us. And then obviously it kind of like 
it all happened really fast. We ended up winning nationals. But even if we hadn't won, like getting like the regional win in some ways was like our first big step. Like we had won some other tournaments that year, which were which were big for us. Like learning how to win was definitely an important skill that Pony had to learn, right? Like we had been in so many games where we were good and we would start up like we'd start off with like two breaks against Ironside or like you know, we're up 3-1 against Ironside. And then we all are like, oh my God, what do we do? And then we lose, you know, 15 to 13 or something. And like, that was something we had done a lot. And so it was super helpful for us that year to have like, we won US Open um, and we won Pro Flight. And it was, so then we started being like, oh, we're, we expect to win these games. Like we're going into games being like, we should win. And then it, it changed to like, oh, we're up, we're going to destroy this team or, oh, we're down, like we're going to come back and win. So like our, our whole mentality shifted. Like we had a couple of things that just like broke our way. Like we had a game, like a really big game for Pony in general. We talk about this all the time. It was in 2018, it was US Open and we were playing truck stop. And it was like in this, it was like, in pool play we had like done okay we gotten like crushed by revolver the day before like we were playing truck and they were up 12 8 i think something like that it was like we lose that game we're playing these two like like there was a team from london and a team from osaka who we had already played and like beaten like 15 to 2 like they weren't top teams and it was basically like we lose that game we play we were in like a pool thing with like these teams that would probably win but like it wouldn't be that competitive for us but we ended up managing to come back in that game with like we played well we got some things that you know we lucked out in a couple ways things went our way we were able to win and then it was like we won that tournament and like if we don't win that tournament you know who knows what happens like I, I think it was just like such a big boost for us to like get over the hump of actually winning a tournament to kind of get into the mindset of like we can actually win these games um that was big i know i've sort of gone way off topic here i kind of forgot where we started <laughs> so apologies no it's all good it's all good you're you're talking about pony's trajectory and uh yeah it was a good one for sure and maybe you can give us some inside info here for the audience on how you recruited some players to play like jimmy mickle for example did you offer him uh, something uh, in return for him coming over? Like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm like, happy are you to, able to share it. that we, info. I mean, we didn't offer him anything. I've been pretty good friends with Jimmy. We met in 2010 on juniors. We played next gen together. We played uh, 2016 worlds together. We played world games together. So like we played together a ton and, and we're, we're good friends. Um, and we obviously decided to go to Australia together to play, club with colony in 2018 and so like we, we spent all that time together and there's some other like colorado alumni uh which is where jimmy went to school that are in new york um i think jimmy had been in colorado like his whole life he was looking for like trying out a new city essentially we kind of gave the pitch of like new york is sweet ponies getting pretty good like we will be even better if you come. Like, I think it'll be a, a really enjoyable time. Like we had just spent a bunch of time together and had a bunch of fun playing on Colony. And so it was kind of like, yeah, that was, it wasn't much of like a, any sort of like, we didn't like reach out to him and be like, we'll get whatever. It was very much like something he wanted to do. We were obviously 
excited about it. And yeah, it, it, it worked out and we had a, um, and we got Lado who's an, a guy on colony to come with us as well. So yeah, I mean like I, I, it is one of those things. It's like, it had been so hard for pony to recruit people. Like, like when I first joined the team, we had, there was all these guys like going to DC or, I mean, I almost went to DC, right? Like there was all these guys going to DC or Boston to play on teams that were like, these are the competitive teams. And then we got lucky where a couple significant others moved to New York. And so we got guys like Harper and like Sam Little to come. And so it's like, we, there was a couple that, and then it just like kind of snowballed where it's like, we started getting good. Then like good players were willing to come. Cause like we were pretty good in 2017. Like I think we, I guess we made quarters that year and we had like, you know, like Ben Yacht was on that team, Harper, Sam Little, like we had a lot of high level players that had just come to New York, which I think helps the case for good players coming. So yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a lot of lucky stuff happened. Um, I think the culture of Pony is really, I, I really enjoy it. And I think those were all kind of our big selling points for, for guys like Jimmy and Lado and, and some other people that played that 2018 year. Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of the culture, I know Pony's known for their, uh, or back in the day, they're known for their Twitter game. So I don't know who runs the who runs the Twitter there, but they're known for that good Twitter game there, Chris. Uh, it could be you, but it's probably someone else. But in 2018, there you mentioned something that uh, people that follow the world's um, the world stage would know. You played with Colony and were able to help them reach it all the way to the finals there indoors in that you know crazy rainy you know tornado like uh, event, right? So. What was it like just dropping everything and moving to a whole other country, whole other continent and just playing ultimate? Like that's pretty, that's like the dream for most people listening, I think, especially now when ultimate's a few and far between during the pandemic. Right. So it was, it was awesome. I mean, I had, I had known, I kind of wanted to do a little traveling after I left my job. So I, yeah, I, I I was kind of ready to leave my job. I knew I wanted to do some traveling club worlds was coming up i had played against a bunch of the australian players and, and knew some of them cupcake or tom chulet had had played bravo i believe in the past so he had a connection with jimmy like jimmy and i would like talk we were like joe we'd like text each other jokingly like i'm ready to go your my job if you're ready to go your job like like i'll do it we'd have like a beer and then like be like i'm actually i actually want to do it or whatever and like finally we just kind of were like all right, we're going to do it. We'll go travel. And and then like having Frisbee was like this great sort of consistent thing to have while we were traveling. It also like allowed us to get to know people in the community. We traveled a bit around doing some other Frisbee things. Like we went to Hong Kong and we did a clinic there while we were there. And like a bunch of Frisbee people like housed us and we like they like took us out at night and we got to hang out and we did this clinic and it was super fun and then we we did something similar in indonesia like we went and played a tournament there we did dream cup while we were over there so we got to like play a ton and got to travel a lot like we got to go to the philippines indonesia like we got to do a lot of these different things with ultimate as kind of the driving force where it was like we had places to stay we got People would show us around and then we had, you know, we weren't incredibly bored because it was like we had this this goal of like winning worlds and had, you know, Frisbee practice and things like that that kind of 
gave us a bit of a schedule. I know it's not much of a schedule to have like three things to do in a week, but when you're, when you're just traveling, it honestly feels, it feels like a lot. And so the idea was always to travel. We thought it'd be fun to do it together and then like include Frisbee as like, we were like, okay, we're going to just get to play more Frisbee. I wanted to play Club Worlds and I also didn't want to just like join on a team. I, I felt like... Not that I could, like, I would have enjoyed doing that too, I'm sure, but it, it felt more impactful and fun to, like, play a full season with them. And the Australian season doesn't overlap with the U.S. season, so it was it was a, kind of a no-brainer. It was easy to, to play their full season. We got to win. We won national, uh, Australian nationals, which was sweet, and then got to, to come, you know, back to the U.S. to play Club Worlds. Yeah, and so some people I think may have, maybe when they saw that thought you were like some of the other American players who were just picking up just because the Worlds was in Cincinnati that year. But yeah, as as you mentioned, you were able to practice there, which is amazing, and, and to build into that community as well. And so last thing I'll ask is about a significant achievement in 2017, which is being on the World Games team because that is like the best of the best, right, Chris? Like it's only, what is it, 14, I think, total? Is that right? Yeah, so the way... The U.S. did it was 10 men, 10 women to start, so 20. And then the traveling roster is seven men, seven women. Uh, so 14 total on the like traveling roster, but we had six alternates during that process. And so, yeah, can you summarize that experience, what that was like for you in your career and just to be able to do that? It was a goal of mine since... I mean, it's, I, I, since I probably knew about World Games, I didn't really know much about World Games. So it was like a big goal of mine was making like the world's team, which I was able to do in 2016. And then after that, I was kind of like, I don't know, it was one of these things. It was like, I'm going to set my goals high. Like, I'm going to try to make this World Games team. And, and it's like, it, that was, it was like a challenging thing to admit that to myself that I was like, I want to make this team because it was like there's a high likelihood of failure, right? Like there's so many talented players uh, in the U.S. that were trying out for that team. It's like, you know, they could have picked probably mo like uh, any combination of like seven men, seven women that were at that tryout and would have made a pretty exceptional team. So that was like the first step was like actually like making that my goal to make that team. And then, yeah, I, I went to tryouts and... I think in some ways it was it was helpful because I, I kind of felt like I didn't have anything to lose. Like I, I I was like I knew I was good. I knew I like kind of had a shot, but I sort of knew that people probably weren't expecting me to make that team. And then I like I played really really well at tryouts and was lucky enough to get selected on that team. And honestly, like like the biggest thing for me was like committing to like playing fundamental ultimate like I knew I wasn't gonna be you know someone throwing 70 yard hooks I I was gonna be someone who was like doing the right thing not turning it over playing really good defense like breaking the mark when I could understanding like spacing and like where to cut where to clear and like really doubling down on all of those things that I knew I was good at and yeah, obviously it paid off and it was like, it was an amazing experience to get to go to uh, Poland and like with this group of people and build, build a team that eventually won. Obviously there was some really good players we were playing or good uh, teams we were playing against. Colombia beat us twice during that run and once in Colombia and once as the first game of that tournament. 
but yeah, it was, it was cool. It felt like they had like sports chiropractors at the events, like before games, you could like, they would like readjust you and like crack your back and do all these things. There was all these other cool sports going on that we would like get to go watch and like explore and like things even way more alternative than ultimate. And so it was, it was very cool seeing all these people at the pinnacle of their sport, whatever it was, competing in this world or in this kind of like little community, seeing people eating, like, you know, going to the cafeteria and seeing like, oh, it's like there's the korfball team, like <laughs> just eating lunch or whatever. I don't know. It was, so it was a very cool experience to get to do that. And it was also like some of the best parts of that were our training camp weekends. So we would have these weekends where we would go and it was like kind of still tryouts, right? Because they, they had picked 10 people, but they didn't make cuts until after, I think, the first two training camp weekends. So it was like those those training camps were like incredibly competitive, incredibly hard and tiring and fun. And, and it was definitely some of the best ultimate I've ever played was, was playing on that team in those training camp weekends before going to to the tournament itself yeah and uh and chris with uh, all that world games talk there i mean it's scheduled to be in uh the lovely place of birmingham alabama there in uh 20 2022 so yeah maybe we'll see you there that that's probably your goal again right so we're gonna move on here to segment two we're gonna talk about your daily life a little bit shorter segment for today have you been training like you're focusing a little bit more on the club season we we're talking about it off air so You'll be focusing your kind of your efforts there on pony. So, what does your daily life look like right now in terms of training, getting ready for the season when uh, hopefully ultimate returns? Yeah, so I've definitely been training. Have been training really since last year. It's obviously a little different when there's not a frisbee season, but now that it's really starting to look like, at least in some form, there will be a club season. Training has has picked up. You know, I, I'm being careful not to. Like, you know, our first couple practices back, I'm sure, will be different than practices in seasons past now that everyone's had a year off. And even though I would say the vast majority of our team has has stayed fit and continued to train, I think it's hard to completely replicate playing a full, you know, ultimate game or playing you know, a full ultimate tournament. So making sure we're responsible about how we come back um, to avoid injuries. But that that's very much like, and we're harping this on pony is like, we need to be up to speed by the time we're actually able to start practicing. So yeah, I would say most days I'm doing something, whether it's like tempo runs or doing like a track workout or a lift or something like that. I'm not going back to the, I'm not, I don't have a gym membership yet. It's still, I guess soon I've, I've, I have gotten my vaccine. So maybe soon I'll go back to the gym. So it's, it's, it's a lot of like running and body weight stuff. We bought a, we bought an electric bike, not a Peloton. It's called an Echelon, but we bought one of those that's just in our... Is that like a bootleg version or what? Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's sort of the bootleg Peloton. It'll, it looks very similar. It kind of does the same stuff. So I've been I've been riding that as well as kind of like on, on down days to make sure I'm at least getting my heart rate up and challenging myself in, in that. And, and like there's, you know, there's a leaderboard and it's kind of... It's a little bit of a competitive outlet now that I haven't had Frisbee for a year. But yeah, I think like we we played mini for the first time like this week. So that's been really fun and we're excited to hopefully start start practicing again soon, somewhat soon. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you're speaking of competition there, so we were also talking about this off-air, where you live with a bunch of Ultimate people, right? So you live with both, I think, people like on Pony and maybe some other teams, or I'm not sure what that looks like, but you live with Ultimate people, so what's that like living with people that also like follow the same sport, train for it, and are kind of motivated towards the same goals? It's great. I've really enjoyed living with Ultimate players. Um we're all on the same team, so it's it's easy to motivate each other, work out together. Obviously, we've we've had kind of like a COVID bubble that so we could throw and run around together and things like that. It's also when you're really focusing on a season and you have goals like Pony does of of creating a team that you know will will compete for a championship. It's really fun to be fully immersed in it and it's and it's pretty easy to do when when your two roommates are uh, in the same mental space as you focusing on the same things have the same goals so I think it's a it's an advantage I tend to think the more time you can spend with teammates off the field the better it, it I've found that we've had a lot of success in you know developing relationships off the field and that translating to performing and trusting each other uh, when we're in competitive games and yeah that's a that's a great point there Chris why do you think that is like I mean people intuitively like understand that that probably is that probably works but why do you think um, getting to know someone off the field and just building relationships with them actually helps you with playing I think a big part, it's like, it makes it easier to communicate. Like if you know someone well and care about them as a person, communicating on the field and like about, you know, what you like to do or like if they're doing something you think is wrong, it it like creates a, a, a safer space, I think, to, yeah, communicate, bounce ideas off each other, disagree, be like, it, it creates a situation where like we can be super competitive at practice and like really push each other and like get annoyed with each other. But there's an underlying, you know, love and respect that we know we have because we've spent so much time together, both on and off the field, that it allows for that space to like be really competitive and fiery when we want to be. Because it's something, you know, it happens in games and it's going to be it's something we want to be able to recreate in practice and, and create a competitive environment. And having that, those connections off the field, I think makes that a safer space for that to happen where it's not going to be detrimental to a team. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, last question of this segment, uh, you've done a lot already. You've won a national title. You've won a World Games gold. Uh, do you have any goals left? Like, what what are some other goals you have in the sport there? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely still have goals. I think, I mean, like my biggest goal at this point is to win another national championship. Honestly, I would love to win two national championships in a row. Um, it's I, you know, setting my goals high. Individually, making this next World Games team is is a significant goal for me. I definitely think like my main focus right now in Ultimate is this 2021 season and putting Pony in a in a position to uh, compete to win a, a national championship. There's a lot of things that have to happen for us to be in that spot. But um, that's my, at this stage, the main goal I have and, and the main kind of thing I'm, I'm pursuing. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, we'll check back in, you know, in half a year and see, uh, see how all that goes, right? So in terms of uh, segment three here, Chris, we're going to talk about your 
least favorite and favorite game. So which one do you want to start with? Hey, let's start with my least favorite. All right. So why don't you go ahead and share your least favorite game that you've ever played in? So I think, honestly, <laughs> semifinals last year against Machine was one of my least favorite games. I've been in other bad losses, but that one felt bad because I think we had seen a lot of the signs of that being possible of like kind of getting blown out or not performing well against a defense that machine was throwing like this sort of poachy kind of switching like they did a really good job of knowing what we wanted and knowing what players wanted to do what and like specifically trying to take that away and I think throughout the season we had like run into problems with it and we we kept sort of being like oh we're really good we'll be okay we'll figure it out and and it we never really got a chance to address it so in a lot of ways it's my least favorite game because like we lost pretty badly but it felt like we just didn't put our best foot forward and and i don't mean that in a way that's like oh we played badly like we would have beaten machine if we played well like i think machine put us in a position to play badly and we did and they played great it just felt like we didn't compete with them in the way that i know you know we would have liked to and there's a lot of reasons for that but it, it just it felt a little bit like we you know we had left an opportunity you know, it's that you don't, you never know if you're going to be back in semis, like any, any game like that is, is tough to lose. So that was, you know, that was a tough one. I think another one of my, I know we said one, but another one of my least favorite games, this is more of like a, per, it's like, like one of the games I played my worst then was, was the world club final, which was tough. Like that's a, not a game you don't want to have your best game in. Um, and so it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's like a least favorite game, but it's definitely a game I think about as far as like personally not playing as well as I would have liked. You know, it was an awesome game. I mean, it was like, I loved being in that environment. It was super fun. It was very cool. It was incredible to get to play in the finals. So it's hard to say it's a game I don't like or a least favorite game, but it's just like at a personal level, it's not fun to not play well on a on a big stage like that so i think those two are games that stick out to me as as tough for for different reasons but um you know and and similar against machine right it's like we were playing in semifinals. it's hard to say it's the least favorite game like it was very cool to just be in that environment but we just didn't play the way that i would have would have hoped yeah sad vibes there but uh chris now we get some good vibes coming your way in terms of your favorite game so uh why don't you share that now yeah, I mean, I think, you know, any any of, like, the championship, like, obviously, like, winning against Revolver was cool, but it's, like, that game itself was a bit surreal because it was, like, we kind of, not that we knew we were going to win quickly, but, it like, it got to a point where we were, like, we really might win, and we're up by a bunch, and, like, it was, it, like, felt, like, I didn't play a ton, like, it was... Any of those like winning games, right, is, is very fun, especially like Worlds and things like that. But some games that really stick out to me as unique and, and very cool is one is is actually at uh, TEP in Colombia, in Medellin. In 2018, we played Sockeye in the finals of that tournament. And we like went down 3-0 and then we beat them. But like the environment of that game was so cool because it was like the stands were packed. There was like 
they were like doing pony chants at one point, which is like very, very cool. Cause, and so it's like the whole, it like, it was this old soccer stadium. And so it's like, it was really loud. Uh, this guy Chevy was on our team, was Colombian. And so, you know, he had a huge supporting section. He ended up catching the winning goal. So it was like the environment of that game was was very unique and fun and it was like obviously early season game it wasn't the most competitive whatever but it was that's that's a game i will always remember and then i did two bad ones so i'm gonna do two good ones and then another one of my favorites also against machine different outcome this is again sort of a personal like i felt like i played well in a big moment was machine playing against machine in quarters in 2018 and they were up i think it was like eight to four or something or seven maybe it was like seven three and they were maybe about to take half or something i don't know we were down a bunch we were playing really badly probably should have thought about that when we were about to play them in semis because honestly it's like what happened in semis could have happened in 2018 against them but i really like that game because like we didn't give up we like this is kind of our season. Like we're going to go for it. And I personally like made a couple plays that I was very proud of. So it's like, I got a D at a really big point right before, like they were in the red zone to take half and I was able to get a D. Yeah. So I think, and we just like had some people make plays that were like impact the game, like winning plays throughout that second half. And so that was, there was like a lot of fans around like lining the, the uh the field which was like a, it's like a cool environment always if they're like they're just so close like you're just you're on the sidelines and there's like fans like surrounding the field it's always really cool it's very different than like finals games where you know people are in stands which is less fun honestly it's much more fun when it's like kind of where what it used to be in like sarasota kind of before i was playing but you see those pictures of like people lined up and so like we got that in that quarters game and that was that was very fun. And it was like, again, it was sort of like we could have lost things could have, we could have given up. It wasn't going, a lot of things weren't going our way, but we were able to really fight through and, and win that game. And obviously we needed to do it in order to win nationals. Um, and then we ended up, you know, obviously being Sockeye and, and revolver the next two games. But that was one of, uh, one of my favorite games just because like there was a lot of people that made, including myself, made plays that felt like really impacted the outcome of the game, which is always a cool feeling. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, the favorite games are Chris Kotcher. And so now, Chris, we're going to move into rapid fire. We're going to start out with some ultimate questions first. So uh, first one being, uh, what throw do you prefer, your flick or backhand? I would say my flick. What about hammer or scuba? Scuba. Would you rather drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone? I would probably rather drop a catch in the end zone. You've already won nationals, but let's pretend you haven't, okay? So you either win five straight silver medals or you win one gold medal, but you never appear in the finals before or after. I would choose one gold medal. Just like one, just the one peak of excellence, right? Is that why? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's... I don't know. Getting second five times in a row would be, would be brutal. Maybe if I was on ring, I would have a different answer. But I think, um, oh, no. I think I would, I think I would say uh, one championship would be more meaningful to me than than second place. You know, 
five or six times. Emotionally, that would be brutal. <laughs> uh, so if you're on Ring of Fire and you're listening or you're a fan of them, then uh, yeah, I think you know the pain. So uh, what about should Ultimate be renamed? Uh, some people, you know, they don't like the name. I don't know. I mean, I get the the hate on the name Ultimate. I very much feel that. Um, so I, I think in some ways I would be in support of changing it. I just, I don't know. I think there are maybe bigger issues <laughs> to focus on. Um, so I, I don't know if it's something I would, I don't know. I, I guess I'd probably say no. I think let's just stick with it. What are, what are the other, what are the thoughts on what it should be named? Like Flatball, is that? Yeah, Flatball, I know uh, I always give a shout out to this whenever someone asks, but Disc 7s was promoted by Keith Rayner of Ulti World. So Disc 7s, yeah. Flying Disc. So Frisbee has been suggested if we just buy the rights from Whammo, then it would just be called Frisbee. So, I mean, a lot of people call it Frisbee now anyway, so you just can't put it like kind of on print because it's a copyrighted term. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it is true. It's like I call it Frisbee probably more than I call it Ultimate. So yeah, I don't know. I could see myself getting behind a name change maybe <laughs> if, if it was one I liked. I kind of like Disc 7s. Hey, I feel like it'd be hard you. to change though. <laughs> What's your, is your vote Disc 7s? Yeah, Disc 7s because we already have something like Rugby fo- Rugby 7s or like... Yeah. And also by having Disc 7s, when you play mini or when you play goalie or whatever, whatever you're playing with different numbers, you can just call it disc fours or like disc threes. It's just a lot easier that way. So For that's sure. my vote. No, I, I feel that. I could probably be convinced. <laughs> I mean, you played a little bit of a professional back in the day there a couple of years ago now, but should ultimate have referees at the highest level or continue with observers slash game advisors at the world's level? I, I like the current, setup of observers i think i personally like there being a third party to make decisions i think it is very difficult when you're like and not because i think people are cheating really or that that's like the big concern i just think it's it puts a lot of pressure on a player to have to make calls in big situations even if you know, whether it's the right or wrong call. And like, you know, I think there's a lot of people that probably say like, that's what makes ultimate so great. And and I definitely feel that argument. But for me personally, I like there being some semblance of a third party to go to in, in a, in a situation where people can't agree. I I love the fact that you don't have to do that and that you can have a discussion about what you think happened. And I think there are definitely times where there's it's pretty obvious. It's like, yeah, I definitely fouled you or whatever, and it, and you come to a conclusion. But I would definitely want observers at the highest level. I don't, I don't think I would go as far as saying I would want referees. I like it being kind of player making calls first. One thing I would say I think needs to change is how we do stall counts. I think it's it's too variable between teams and players. And it's just like if one person's counting a certain speed and someone else is counting another speed, it just like can be a big advantage or disadvantage. And I, I don't think like people are doing it intentionally. I just think it's so hard to have a consistent stall count. And that to me, 
seems like something there should be some way to figure out how to not have the person marking be the person stalling because that doesn't i think it just it leads to too many inconsistencies and like stalls being called and things like that and not really like stalls being called but more like if a team is everyone is fast counting a little bit it's just like you it just like builds up and you have that one mistake and it's really hard to call fast count every single time and yeah so i would love to for there to to see some way whether that's like i don't know i mean obviously this is maybe uh, a pipe dream but like some sort of like shot clock i know in some professional leagues they they have like the referees doing it and and i sort of think that could work like i think you get it you get comfortable with what 10 seconds feels like or seven seconds or whatever it is. And as long as it's consistent, like I think people would get used to not hearing it or maybe, you know, there's some sound that could be made at stall eight or I don't know. It just seems to me like that's, that's my one thing I don't like about the, the self officiating I think is, is the stall counts. I think it's a little too inconsistent. Yeah, and I, I definitely understand that because uh, especially when you're about to stall somebody out, Chris, you probably know this experience, when suddenly it jumps from like 8 to 10 very quickly uh, yeah, yeah, in the hopes of getting a stall out. So you probably experienced that uh, for sure. I mean, I think sometimes at the higher level, it's like almost it's like that beginning can be really fast. It's like stalling one, two, three, four, five, six, and then it like slows. And it's like you really, before you know it, you're like, I'm at seven? Like what? And you can kind of feel it, but it's hard to call it every time. You're focused on throwing, right? You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> I've been in games where I've felt frustrated by feeling like a team is every time I catch the disc, you know, it's like at stall three or four by the time I've like looked up field. And it's, it's just like that's, and it's just like not, it's really hard to combat it. I mean, you can call fast count, obviously, but it's, and then it's like people disagree on fast counts. I don't know. I just think if we can make the stall count consistent, it would be helpful. Again, I have no answers for this. I just think it would be beneficial. <laughs> yeah, hey, you're sharing your feelings. I appreciate that. And uh, last question to this, uh, like, ultimate related segment. So um, should ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympics? Or heavy hitting questions. I, I try to do that on the podcast, you know. <laughs> I think that ultimate continuing to pursue getting into the Olympics is is a good path forward like I like the idea of ultimate being in the Olympics however like it's not really like what my necessarily where I think ultimate focus should be I think like getting like the club series much better I mean it's hard I guess like people would argue that if it's in the Olympics there's way more money and there's more visibility and like more people will play I think like, yeah, getting into the Olympics is, I think it would be a very cool thing for Ultimate. It seems like it'll probably be after my time playing, but uh, maybe I can tag along as like an assistant coach or something. Um, and I think it would grow the sport immensely and, and would be, would, you know, bring it to a much wider audience, which I think would be very cool. Yeah, for sure. D that definitely does make sense. And Chris, we're going to move into some non-Ultimate um, questions. So first one being, I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history so they can be living or brought back from the dead. So you got to pick three people that you're going to have this epic meal with. It's like I would probably choose 
Serena Williams, LeBron James, and Bobby Fischer. Okay, so basically you're choosing the goats of their like relative craft is what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I would just be fascinated to talk to them about like yeah, perform especially like someone like Serena. I mean, you know, I think if I thought about this longer, I'm sure I'd I'd think of some other people um, that would be really interesting to talk to. But I would be fascinated to, especially an individual sport like tennis and someone like Serena Williams, who's been so dominant for so long. I think it would be so fascinating to talk to her about the mental side of competition and like performing when it's like always just on her all the time and like the pressure she's under and that type of discussion would be would be really fascinating i think and like lebron for like similar reasons um and then like bobby fisher i i don't know i've always loved chess i think it's fascinating i think it would be really interesting to like talk to someone so accomplished at a, at something like that so challenging and and difficult and like how you approach something like that yeah so i and i think it could be an interesting an interesting group can I ask you what, what yours would be or what yours has been? I imagine you've thought about it if you're asking everyone this question. <laughs> hey, you're the first one to ask it back. So I would choose uh, two football quarterbacks that I that I respect really well, which is uh, Tim Tebow, even though some would say he's not really a quarterback. <laughs> and Kirk Cousins, who went to Michigan State University, uh, my favorite uh, college team. And then I would choose a commentator that I just enjoy listening to which is Gus Johnson. So if you don't know who Gus Johnson is, I would highly recommend in the audience for you to search him up on YouTube. He has some iconic calls, and uh, he's one of the best commentators I've ever seen. And uh, yeah, I would just love to hear his voice during dinner and just commentating all night. So <laughs> there you go. Good. Thanks, Chris. You're the first one to do that. So appreciate that. Appreciate that. That's nice. So now I know that you have an apartment in New York City. So I don't know if you got a backyard kick in there, okay? But if you don't, pretend that you do. So you're putting on a concert where you're going to book three bands or artists in the world and they could be broken up or brought back from the dead, et cetera, et cetera. So you got to pick three, but also the order. So you're not just picking the three. You got to pick who's opening, who's in the middle and who's headlining this uh, concert. The Chris Kotcher special. I think I would open with Calvin Harris and then go to Kanye and then go to Beyonce. So Beyonce's ending this epic concert in New York City then, just tearing the city down, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, the dance vibes, I like, I like it. So Chris, last question here. You can't pick ultimate as the answer for this question. So I'm going to give you all the talent. You could be all the athletic talent in the world. You could be seven feet tall, seven foot tall, you know, 5'11", whatever height you want to be. And... You have to pick the sport and team or organization you would play for, or if it's an individual sport like tennis, the tournament you'd want to play at. I think playing in the World Cup finals would be what I would choose. Even though, like, soccer is not my, like, it's not this, I watch, like, basketball way more. But I think just, like, the environment of being in, you know, either a Champions League final or a world cup final would be like something i i couldn't imagine it but it would be incredibly cool so uh what team are are you representing the usa then but then what about champions league what uh club are you playing for 
Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, could I choose a different team in the USA? I might choose like I feel like I would choose a team that a country that was a little more excited about soccer. I feel like I'd want to do like Argentina or something like that. Obviously, I can't do it right. Like, but and then Champions League, I think I would do like Manchester United. The only the only reason I would say Manchester United is when I was on truck stop, Manchester United came to the U.S. and did a. I guess they're doing like a U.S. tour of like these friendly exhibition games. And I don't know how this happened, but they had like a social media person who had like somehow gotten contact with Truck Stop. And so they all, we like did like a, a throwing clinic with all these Real Madrid players. It was like a bunch of the, the big names weren't there, but like they like rolled up on this van and like we just like threw around with them for, you know, an hour and a half. And they were like throwing hammers and stuff like that. And I traded my truck stop jersey for Ashley Young's, like, he had, like, a Manchester United polo. And so ever since then, I've sort of been a Manchester United fan, even though I, I don't, admittedly, don't really follow soccer that much. But it's still my choice. Yeah, and so have you ever tried to play Ultimate with the Man United polo on? Because, you know, some people rock the polo when they play Ultimate there. So is that something you do? I haven't. I haven't yet. It's not, it's not much of a, a jersey. It's sort of a post playing type thing but maybe maybe this year i'll break it out <laughs> yeah i get that that sounds good and so chris that actually ends our episode for today uh thank you for coming in all the way from new york city so if people want to find out about you um see some of the games you've been in part of where can they find this info online i think honestly the best place to find like games is like if you look up uh on youtube like jimmy leppert's ultimate channel he has all the pony games so like you can watch a ton of pony games that are not on not on ulti world or like usa ultimate i think he has a he has a ton of footage so if you're interested in you know watching more ultimate games that maybe haven't been filmed by ulti world maybe don't have quite a good commentary and things like that um you can find it on his his uh, youtube channel i think yeah yeah sounds good and uh social media you on social media there chris or what uh, yeah, I, I don't use it a ton, to be honest. You might be disappointed, but Instagram is probably what I use the most. Uh, and that's, I think my username, what is it? Ccocher3. So C-K-O-C-H-E-R-3 is my tag. And I also have a Twitter, but I don't, I haven't tweeted something in, in years. So I don't think, I don't think you'll get much following me there. Yeah, you'd be better off following the Pony Ultimate Twitter, is what I'm uh, telling you there in the audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, follow Pony Ultimate. So, Chris, all the be- uh, you know, all the best as uh, club season hopefully is going to take off there in 2021. Um, you know, looking forward to potentially seeing you uh, suit up uh, at the World Games as well. So, thanks for your time, Chris. Do appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening. That marks the end of Season 2. And my podcast will be going on pause for a bit as I start my new project with UltiWorld. I want to thank each and every person for their support. And if there's someone that you think would benefit from listening to this podcast and learn about different people in Ultimate, I would love for you to share it with them. And you can definitely check out past episodes in the podcast archive on whatever platform you're using. So once again, thank you for joining me on this journey. And I'm excited for the next chapter with the new podcast I have with UltiWorld called Hucking A. So you can check that out on any podcast platform. And as always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. 
You can see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at One and Only Sports. And yeah, that's that's it. Thanks for joining on the journey. Peace.